Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. I'm Jared. I'm Ethan. And today we're going to be speaking with Jaden Bryan. Jaden is a good friend. He really has an entrepreneurial mindset. One of his businesses that we're going to be talking about today is how he guides American buffalo hunts in Utah. So we have a great podcast for you today, some awesome stories and experiences to go along with it. So let's get to it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. All right, Jaden, thank you for, uh, for joining us today for the podcast. You're welcome. Yes, thanks for coming on. Yeah, so uh, Jaden and I, actually, uh, Jaden's one of my good friends. We've known each other for over 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, just a couple things about Jaden um, starting off. Uh, Jaden, you're, you're born and raised in Utah, right? Uh, yes. You cur- currently live there now. Um, you have two kids, beautiful family, um, and we're just we're really grateful that you took the time to sit down with us and, and talk about some of your endeavors. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so I, I have. Well, the, well, let me ask, what, oh, what part of Utah do you live in? South Central Utah. We live in a little town called Bicknell, Utah. Okay, South about, Central. Yeah. Okay, so you We're live in the Wayne south County. of Nephi, south of Nephi, which is yeah, south of Nephi. After that yep. is like basically tiny towns. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much Nephi than St. George. That's about what people know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah, we're about. I guess you'd say about halfway between those two. Okay. Uh, surrounded yes. by Capitol Reef National Park, Fish Lake. Oh, you know, okay. Those are the main tourist attractions around us. Nice. I used to live up in uh, Bountiful area, so yeah, quite a bit further north than you, but uh, still got to yeah. enjoy some of the the outdoor wonders of Utah. Yeah, it's just such a, such a strange place in that there's so many. It's like within the state of Utah, there's like. 20 different types of climates. It's like, yeah, you could be like in, in a, in a jungle, like you're in the movie avatar and then you're, you know, then you're in the middle of the desert and like arches national monument. And it's like, you're on Mars. I mean, it's just so the climate varies so much. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah Except for there's no just, beach. And that's one thing I didn't like about it. Yeah. <laughs> nope. None of that. Yeah. And it differs a little bit from uh North Carolina just with, I mean, here it's like you, you look and you, you see maybe a hundred yards and then, and then the canopy of trees, like you can't see anything else, but out there you can see the mountains in the background. I mean, depending on where you're at and it's pretty cool. So, um, Jade and I, you and I have, have had the opportunity to work together on, um, uh, you know, several different things. On, we, we served together on our mission trip in, in South America. And, uh, one thing that, that I always admired from you is, is that you, uh, you're hardworking and you've got a lot of talents. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on is just because you're just an interesting dude. And that's, that's what we, uh, what we wanted to, we're uh, trying to be interesting dudes. So we have people on that are cool. Yeah. So it's like, you are who you associate with. So we're trying to associate more. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to kind of, I know you took some of those talents and you've, you've kind of grown them into, uh, some different lifestyles and what you do in, in several different businesses. And we want to talk about those those uh, businesses today. So w- one of the main ones that really interests me is your, um, it's it's Bull Mountain Outfitters, correct? Yeah. And so this is uh, where you, you lead uh, guided 
buffalo hunts there in in Utah. I know you have a love for the outdoors. Do you mind t- telling us a little bit about that? How did you get into that? How did you start that business? So I started hunting, you know, at a very young age. Uh, any species that was around, uh, local deer, elk, rabbit hunting. You know, we would we'd hunt them all. Uh, waterfowl, upland game, but bison hunting. Uh, that's unique to South Central Utah. They're located on the Henry Mountains and they are one of four disease-free, genetically pure, free-ranging bison in the world. So it's a very unique herd of bison. And I, I've seen the bison ever since I was little down there, but uh, was invited to help on a hunt back when I was 17 years old. And then I started helping out after that, uh, went on the mission I came back home, had a couple people ask me if I could help again. And so then in 2014, I became a licensed guide in the state and worked under a different outfitter. And then 2016, I thought, why not just cut out the middleman and become my own outfitter? I I didn't have control over who the outfitter hired or anything like that. So I wanted to have my say, you know, I wanted to have respectful guys uh, working for me that respected the land, respected other people and everything like that. So that's where I started and why I wanted to start my own outfitting business. I was just going to say, so what kind of licensing do you have to, to do to, to, to start a business like that from the state? So in the state of Utah, to be an outfitter, uh, you have to pass an exam, an outfitter's exam through the Department of Professional Licensing. Uh, then you have to go through <clears throat> whichever jurisdiction your land is on. So for example, the Henry Mountains reside in the Richfield uh, Bureau of Land Management District. So I have to have a special recreation permit through them. Basically what the BLM says is if you're out on our property uh, making money, then we want to make money as well. So you get that license and what they do is they, they check your licensure, make sure that you've got liability insurance to cover the land in case there, you cause any damage to it. And then uh, make sure that it's not oversaturated with other outfitters. And then if all that checks out, they give you the license and then you pay them a percentage of your gross at the end of the year. So you're only doing pub, you're only doing BLM land then. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I have. I did have, uh, another permit for uh, national forest land, but I never used it. I didn't, that would have been to guide, uh, like deer and elk, bear, lion, hmm. but and I didn't you, ever use it. So I just stuck to bison. Mountain lion that is. Yeah. Yeah. Mountain lion. <laughs> Now, now, do you only do buffalo, or is that your license only for buffalo, or is your license really for anything you kill out there as long as you have the right tags? So I, you you decide when you submit the paperwork what you want it to be for. So I, I submitted it for all species of animals that reside within that BLM district. Hmm. So I can guide mountain lion or bear or deer hunts or anything like that within that area, but... I wanted to specialize in one thing and just do that really well. And I'm actually the only outfitter that is dedicated entirely to Henry Mountain Bison. That's all I do. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So how does a, um, how does a typical hunt reside? I mean, how does it work? Is it usually like a multi-day hunt or is it, um, you know, you, you go up in the morning and you come back in the evening. How does that work out? So the Henry's is unique in that unless you're, unless you're, putting up, you know, tent camping where you're driving all the way up onto the mountain and setting up a tent camp. Um, then you're going to be driving a lot. And that's usually what we do. So we'll, we'll camp, you know, anywhere from two to five miles off the, the paved road, but then we're 
12 miles away from where we're going to start hunting. So we end up putting a lot of miles on the side by side and four wheelers and stuff like that. So typical day is get up in the morning and try to get up in the area where we're going to start hunting uh, before dawn and uh, try and locate them and then make a play on them. And we're usually where we're that far out. We just stay there the whole day, come back in the evening. Uh, the bison are really unique in that they don't really have, they have somewhat of a schedule, but these bison, they're so nomadic and very spooky. So, so they don't really mess around at all. If, if they smell a human or, or think that they've smelled a human or think that somebody's bumped them, then they just run for two, three, four, five miles before they even stop. So this isn't like shooting cattle. <laughs> no. No. Do, do you usually <laughs> do you usually find them in um, a herd or are they usually by themselves whenever you find them? How, how does that work? It depends on the time of year. If it's in uh, the early or late spring time when they're calving and then when they're in their rut cycle when the cows come into estrus and, and then they're breeding, then that's then they're grouped up into big groups, uh, you know, 100, 150 a group. So but that doesn't last very long. They usually break up that grouping around September. And then the, the bulls will usually split off and go into their own little bachelor herds of five or so. The cows will break up into little groups of 10 to 15. And then, then that's usually about where you find them. So for a, for a big bull, what we're looking for is a lone bull. That usually means he's really old. He's been just kicked out of the herd. He's all by himself. And unlike deer or elk that kind of regress, their antler size as they get older, bison just get more massive and more lengthy. So if you're looking for a score, that's what you want is a really, really old one. Nice. How many, uh, I just have so many questions, but how many trips do you do a, a year, I guess? Uh, the most I've done is seven. I've got to seven hunts in one year. Uh, just this past season, we did three. Uh, that's about average, three to five a year. I mean, you must be crazy busy during hunting season. When is that? You might have said this, but when is hunting season again? So they average depends, but mostly it's just November, December. November, and December. December. Okay, so that's yeah. The, yeah. Holiday season is like boom, busy, busy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yep. What um what would someone expect to pay for something like that? I mean, I know I know there's probably a draw, right? That you have to sure. put in put in. Um, but even just, I mean, after that, what, what's an average expense for something like that? I guess it might depend yes. by outfitter, but yeah, sure. So if you're a resident of Utah, just the permit fee alone is, I believe it's around 450 right now. Uh, that's if you draw the tag, if you're a non-resident and you draw, I think it's around $1,500 just for the permit alone. Mm -hmm. And then after that, if you want to hire a guide, uh, average fees, I think the lowest I've seen for about a seven day guided hunt is around $5,000. The most expensive I've seen is 8,500. I sit about in the middle 6,500 for seven days. Um, but it does depend on what they want. You know, if they want other accommodations like lodging or food, things like that, they, we can add those packages on as well. But yeah, that was going to be kind of a follow-up question to that one is, um, you know, sometimes you hear like guided hunts and, and, you know, you hear about stories of like the guide basically does everything and then oh, yeah. you know, sets up like a ground pad and then like loads the rifle and just sets it down. And the person just lays down and pulls the trigger. I mean, obviously this is probably different than that, no, but yeah. how, how involved are you as a, as a guide? I mean, do you just find them and then let them do their business or how does that work out? So from the start, it, just a typical package would be 
a seven day hunt is myself plus another guide. So there's two people working for the, for the person and we'll commit guiding or scouting days prior to the hunting start date. And then there's the seven days of hunting. And so we'll go out and find some, and then on opening day, we'll go out and make a play on them. And what that typically means is myself as the guide or the other guide, uh, we just work together and I'll be with the hunter and we'll be walking out and then the spotter or the other guide will set him on a hill or somewhere where he can have a big vantage point. And we'll just have radios communicate with each other in case they've moved or in case they move while we're working in on them. And, and then that's, that's how we work together as a team guiding each other in. And then, so, so I'm right with the person when they shoot. Um, and part of the reason behind that is the bison behave a lot more differently than deer and elk do. Um, you got to cue in to their behavior and their, what they're trying to perceive from you as well. Um, like I said, they don't really give you many chances or many breaks on if you're trying to sneak in. We had uh, an incident this in October where we were sneaking in and uh, I was sitting back glassing. I was the spotter that day and I sent my other guide in with the hunter and I was watching the herd and they were about to bed down and suddenly they all turned and looked right in the direction where the guys were. And I, I radioed and said, I, I don't know what you did, but they didn't like that. And he radioed back and said, well, we just unlaced our boots. That's all we did, we just unlaced our boots. So just the just that sound of like a string snapping on a boot lace, you know, and that made them scared. They, they took off running. Oh, man. What, so, what were they unlacing their boots for? So they could, so they could sneak quieter. Stock in in socks or whatever? Yeah, because yeah, it it's quieter that way. Yeah, and you're a little more. You're you're. It forces you to be slower too if you have your boots off because you're you're watching actively watching what you're stepping on. So if you if you bag one the first day, that's, I mean, they paid the money. You're mm-hmm. like, hey, we don't have to be out here for seven days now. Yep. But absolutely. I guess you have to go I mean, return go- a bunch of food to Costco or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously, I make more money the quicker I get it done. That's the incentive for for me and the other guide is to to get it done quick. Um, but do you guarantee we, we a do, kill or is it like, well, you may or may no. not. <laughs> so I'm confident enough that I, I, I asked when I set up my business, I asked the attorney that helped me if I could do that. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. That's not wise. <laughs> Cause <laughs> there's a lot of things that are out of my control. Yeah. Totally. Uh, we could have bad weather for seven days in a row, uh, the activity of other people, the activity of the bison themselves. Um, and then the skill level of the hunter too, yeah. that I'm taking, I have no idea. They could tell me on the phone if they're, they could chalk themselves up as the best hunter in the world. And then when they get out to it, they're, you know, out of shape or they're really noisy or they're just not good hunters, you know? Yeah. The, the bad shot or whatever. I mean, if they yeah. miss, if they miss every single yeah, opportunity, then yeah, I've had that too. <laughs> like, you missed him. He was like a barn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever, have you ever come in, had any like, I don't know, close encounters? I mean, I, I, the only encounter I've ever had with, with, with bison or with Buffalo or is like in Yellowstone. Right, where you yeah. see them on the Those side of the road. Those are basically domesticated. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what um, have you ever had any kind of encounters that are you got to watch out for? Walked up on one that I mean, you, I guess they're hard to sneak up on, but yeah, they're as, as, they're just like other animals in that if you keep your scent and you stay out of sight and you keep your movement to a minimum, they're just like us. They pick up on movement and noise. You know, if, just like you and I, if you see something out of your peripheral, then you know it catches your attention. So they're just like us in that aspect. But close encounters, I had one where I was sitting, I was sitting back about 200 yards away watching, a, uh, I, I took a, a veteran out, he was hunting with me, and he was, I was about 200 yards away and he was working in, 
And as I was sitting right on the main game trail and the, the herd was in front of me. And as I was sitting there, we just come off some ledges behind me that were only about 60 yards away. And I would just, my eyes were right in the binos, just watching this herd, waiting for uh, this guy to get in on him. And I heard rocks falling behind me and I turned around and looked and there were seven bulls coming down the trail that I was on. And I have everything set out, you know, my backpacks opened up, my tripods out in front of me, everything's open. And so I'm scrambling to grab everything. And I turned back around last time and they were about 25 yards from me and they still hadn't seen me yet. And so the wind was still good. So they hadn't smelled me and I just, they were just in such a hurry. I don't know if someone scared them or not, but, um, and I jumped off the side and they kind of went by, but that one was kind of scary, but that wasn't intentional. You know, that was just kind of an accident, but. Um, I had another time where we, we watched this bull walk up into a, a basin uh, way up high. And so we went up and sat on the rim of the basin, watched until lunchtime and the bull never came out. And so I said, I'll, I'll go in the trees and see if I can work him out back into the opening and then you shoot him. And the guy's like, all right. So I work into the trees and I start walking through there and I see a flash of something real quick. And I, I just saw a tail with a white tip on it. And then in the next gap of trees, I saw it was a mountain lion. I jumped a mountain lion hmm. and then I kept walking. And then I saw the bison. He was, he was better right there at the edge of the trees. And he was about maybe 35 yards from me. And he stood up and he's turned like he was going to go out into the opening, but then he started to turn back into the tree. So I took off to try and cut him off, you know, but <laughs> it's kind of hard to stop. <laughs> he just ran right past me. Yeah, that reminds me. Of, I had a similar experience. Uh, I went elk hunting once in the Uintas, and uh, that was my first time going hunting. Actually, well, actually, that was my second. And uh, me and a buddy had gone way out, uh, and uh, almost near like eastern Idaho. Uh, excuse me, eastern Utah. So we we've gone pretty far out uh, uh, in the Uintas, um, and we were. It was like we had the, that evening that we got there, and there was kind of a field that was really wide open, and there was a little like rock little pile, and so I was like, we were laying on the rock pile. I mean, it was like one or two rocks, so we were both just like laying down, and I was like totally laying on my back, just like glassing the whole the whole ridgeway or the whole opposite side of the field, and then he was right to my back, and he was glassing the other side, and then all of a sudden. I hear, and I'm like, what the heck? And so I, I just take my my binoculars off, and there is a cow moose, like, and a calf, probably, uh, probably twenty yards from me or closer, and it was like barking at me. I guess you could call it. And I was like, oh shoot! And so like I like tried to reach around, and, like grab my buddy, and like, dude. But like I didn't want to make too much noise, and like my arm couldn't reach that, that far back, and I was just like, "Hey, hey," you know, I was just trying to like what, yell over my shoulder, but it was just like sat there, kind of just growling at me for uh, a minute or two, and I was like, "I'm gonna be trampled. <laughs> my wife's gonna kill me again after I die." <laughs> and so that was kind of remind me of your story where something kind of snuck up on you. And I was like, "Wow, I'm not a very good hunter if I, <laughs> this thing sneaks yeah, those, up on me." <laughs> those cow moves, they can be. They can, I've heard of that they can be pretty aggressive, especially if they've got calves. So yeah. So luckily, luckily they that one did have calves. So luckily man. I was just like I just remained very still and it just walked like right past us, you know, probably like ten feet from us. But so. the story that probably that I could have been in the most danger, but I kind of I put myself in the position 
I, I had a guy that was 83 years old. This was uh, last year, 2019 season. And he had three days left in the hunt. They hadn't seen anything. And so they called me. Um, he was bound to the road. You know, he couldn't walk hardly at all. And so I said, well, yeah, I'll take you. Um, we'll just do a road hunt, I guess. And on the very last day of the hunt, we'd hunted the third, the second last of the day, the final day of the hunt, we're going out to this spot and I cut some fresh tracks. I see, I just see a set of tracks going across the road and they were big bull tracks. And I told the guy, I said, I, I know right where this bull is. And he's like, where? And I said, he's at the end of this track. If I stay on this track and don't leave it, I'll run into him guaranteed. He's like, oh yeah, haha real funny, but it's very true. When you're tracking an animal, if you just stay on the track and never leave it, you will, you'll find it eventually. And this was fresh enough right in the morning and, I, and he had just watered. Um, and he went to a spot that I'm very familiar with. So uh, there's kind of a ridge line that parallels the road. And on the other side of the ridge line is a deep basin that they like to go into. And I figured that's where he was headed. So I set the guys up to watch this, the dad and his son to watch this deep basin. And I went up onto the ridge line and it's all burned off except for a couple little patches of pinion juniper. And I glass in there. I don't see him. And then I walk into there and I get, I get into the trees and I can see him and he's bedded down and he hasn't seen me yet. The, it was, the wind was blowing pretty hard. So he, he couldn't hear or smell me. And I just sat there and I thought, gosh, dang it. I've just busted this up. I mean, he's going to take off running, go into that hole. I've ruined this and this guy's not going to have a chance at a Buffalo. And I was feeling pretty bad. And as I'm sitting there, the Buffalo turns and he looks at me, he's still bedded. And then he stands up because he realizes something isn't right. And he's facing straight on. And there's just a tree between the both of us, just a small tree. And then he turns and walks away from me. And as he's walking away, I'm waiting for him to turn to my left side and, and go down into this deep basin. And off my right side is that road that parallels the ridge line. And a light bulb goes off in my head. And I'm like, gosh, if I stay between him and that basin, he might go off to that road. There's no way this is going to work, but I'm going to try it. So I take off and I'm, I'm not hurting him. I'm just running like parallel with him. Every time that he like jogs, I just jog along with him. Uh-huh. And it didn't occur to me, he'd, we'd go together and then he'd stop and then we'd go together. And I did this for about a mile and a half. And I, I, went out, I went and measured it afterwards on Google Earth. We did this, he'd go and he'd stop and he'd go and he'd stop and he'd go and he'd stop. And after like this third time that he stopped, we were out in the wide open at this point. In my head, I was like, you know, this probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> agitated. challenging him. Yeah. And he stops and he'll look at me and his tail's in the air, which is a sign that they're probably, they're not very happy. And we finally run out of ridgeline and he hooks off the end of the point. And this whole time I've got the guy on the radio and I'm saying, Hey, this bull might run to the road, get on this part of the road in your razor and then stop and shut the machine off. There's like a hairpin turn in the road and they get there and they stop their machine. And I radio him and I say, Hey, this, this Buffalo just turned like he's running that way. You might see him. And he cuts the Buffalo had to cut back towards the way we just came from. And he did like miraculously just straight line towards that hairpin in the road straight for those guys. There's a little hill. And I remember seeing the Buffalo go up over the little hill and I can't see those guys. They're just behind that hill. And I say, just, just get ready. He's right here. He's coming. And then, then I hear the gunshots going off and he killed him like 80 yards from the road. It was, Oh wow. It was so cool. But yeah, that, that time I was was a little nervous that I was going to get challenged. (laughs) It's like getting stuck in between a, like a train and a, (laughs) Oh, a brick wall or something, a set of trees. Yeah. What's the furthest shot you've seen? 
892 yards. 800 yards? Yeah. Holy moly. With a what? Uh, 6.5 Creedmoor. Yeah. That's a big so, gun. So that hunt, just to, this one will ch- ch- tell you how wily they are, like how aware of scent they are. Um, this was like day four or day five of a cow bison. And the cow hunts are harder because the cows like to hang out in the, because they're in December and it's their winter range. It's roadless stuff. It's really hard to get in on them. And they're in these groups of 10 to 15. So you've got all those eyes and ears and noses just tuned in to humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've just been like 10 minutes late every day to get in on one. So this, this day four, I think it was, we get in and this herd is sitting really high, just below this bluff, just below these ledges. They just come out of water. I glassed them up that morning and we went after them. And so we're going up this drainage and they're just right in front of us. They can't see us. We're out in the wide open, but we're far enough away. They can't see us. And I sent my spotter up higher just to watch their behavior. Cause that, again, you can cue in on their behavior. And, and uh, Chris and I, Chris was naming his son was with us. And uh, Chris is 60 years old. He's a pretty fit guy, but I was, I was pushing. I was like, you, we've got to like almost run. We got to get in here. Cause they're only taking a break for a second. They're bedded down, but they're going to go up on top of those ledges. And we've been 10 minutes late the past three days. And I don't want to be 10 minutes late again. So we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. And I felt the, the wind was good coming right at us the whole time. And I suddenly felt the wind shift, like the thermal started rising up, you know, it's getting that time in the morning. And I felt the thermal shift and I felt the breeze at the back of my neck. And I said, okay, Chris, we got to stop right here. And uh, we got to get you ready to shoot. And the cat, the Buffalo had still, they were still bedded. Nothing was happening. And, uh, so I get him laying prone. I get him set up on the gun. We dial the scope to 892 yards and, uh, higher my spotters got the Buffalo just, just watching him. He goes, Oh, one just lifted its head and you, and he has it on video later and the Buffalo just lifts his nose in the air. And he's like, yeah, you're, you've, you've been had. And we were 900 yards away, you know, and the Buffalo lifts his nose in the air and then the others do. And then they all stand up within about five or six seconds of that one lifting his nose in the air. And they, again, they hadn't seen us. They just winded us off of that little breeze. And uh, so long story short about, well, he shot, I think he shot three times at that yardage and he hit her in the hind quarter, which we, she wasn't going to go anywhere. So then we got into, I think it was 560 and he finished her off. But, and that one was cool. That was in like sheep terrain, like big cliffs. And she rolled down like, like oh, a man. mountain goat, man. It was, it was intense. <laughs> it was cool. That's uh, that's a long shot. So normally you're probably talking a couple hundred, like 300 yards, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah, a- usually I tell people to, as when I'm, I have the convenience of being able to like vet the people that I take out because it's, it's, it's good income to bring in, but it's not necessary income. So it's something that I can choose and pick who I want to take out. And you don't want to be miserable out there with some. Yeah, exactly. Yahoo. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely clients that are awesome to take out and you become lifelong friends. And then there's some people that aren't very good. So I have the convenience of being able to choose. Mm-hmm. And in that process, I can, if somebody says like, yeah, I can shoot a hundred yards pretty good. No, I'm like, yeah, yeah no, no, I'm no, booked. No go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm booked. Yeah. Solid for the rest of your but, life. Yeah. So, but I usually tell them if you can shoot like 400 yards, pretty, pretty decent. And, and if you had to make a 500 yard shot, could you, and if they're like, yeah, yeah, I've done 400 a few times, 500 is pretty good. And if not, then I say, well, I can bring my gun as well. And we can shoot that at camp, get you comfortable with it just in case we have to make a far shot. So. 
Now, uh, I guess I, I have one, two questions burning a hole in my brain. One is, what do you? How do you pack that out of there? I mean, that, those are huge animals. It could be up, upwards of probably eight hundred pounds in some cases. Uh, I may guess correct me if I'm wrong. And then my second question was, isn't a bison a once in a lifetime hunt, or or how do, how do you get that that those tags? Yeah. So the first question, I used to always take horses, no matter what. That was my number one thing was horses to go in and hunt, horses to pack it out. And then I started. Uh, I had bad experiences with horses, um, like where people would say, yeah, I can ride a horse, but the terrain that these Buffalo live in, I, I joke with people and say, I don't know whose idea it was to breed a black Angus and a mountain goat. Cause that's what Henry mountain bison are. Cause they, they jump up ledges. They jump down ledges. They jump across 10 foot gaps. I mean, they're nuts. They're so crazy. So if you're not a very advanced rider that can get on and off your horse by yourself and go up and down ledges by yourself. And I just ended up in scenarios where we got to places like that. And the people were like, yeah, I'm not comfortable doing this. And then, and then I'm, you know, 12 miles in with a person that can't ride a horse. So yeah, I I leave the horses home now um, to pack them out. So surprisingly, uh, well, Henry mountain bison, they've got a a more athletic build than, than your Yellowstone bison do. Uh Um, I attribute that personally to their lifestyle and then their habitat, what they're grazing on and stuff. Um, their Yellowstone bison aren't being pushed around like Henry mountain bison are. They're just kind of lazy and just lay down and walking down the road, getting their picture taken, eating trash and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, these Henry's bison, they, they're really athletic. They run a lot. I mean, they're just, so I think over time that has produced a, a, just a smaller body size, not that they're tiny by any means, but, um, a big bull on the hoof probably weighs 1800 pounds, 2000 pounds. And then a cow is around 800 to a thousand pounds or 1200 pounds if she's real big, but the harvest or the yield that you get on that is much different than a beef cattle. It's a lot less. So, on a cow bison, if you debone all the meat, and that's usually what we're doing is a debone, we don't really bring back the bones. Uh, but debone meat, you might get 130 pounds of meat, is all really um, off of a thousand yeah. pound yeah, animal. Thousand pound cow, wow. yeah, it's Only really, really minimal. So, uh, a lot of that has to do with their they have lots of guts, lots of guts in there, so <laughs> there's a lot of digestive stuff. And then there's a lot of bone structure and sinew and stuff. Uh, their head's kind of heavy, their hide's heavy. Uh, but actual meat, I mean, their hindquarters, I, you know, I've killed a spike elk and I've got more meat off of it than uh, Yeah, I was going to say. So, um, and then a big bull, you probably double that. It's around 200 to 250 pounds of meat. You it, can it, pack that uh, out. I mean, you just packed it out on your back, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll put it on our backs and pack it out. Um, we divvy it up. Um, we've made a couple of trips before. Uh, but like this, a typical, if we're on a cow hunt is we'll pack out, like I'll put a quarter on me plus the back straps and the tenderloins and plus the skull. And then if we have to, I'll put another, sh- just one of the shoulders cause the shoulders are maybe 20 pounds of meat and then Hiram or Aaron or whoever else is helping me. will have the other half. And, and we've done it that way. It, it's a mean pack out. If you have three people, it's a lot better. Uh, but with a bowl, you usually need about four people or, or two people in two trips 
Um, the best investment that I did that I bought last year is called a pack wheel. It's yeah, a battery operated oh. uh, unicycle thing. So oh, and it's yeah. got, pannier, got panniers on each side of the tire. Uh-huh. And so you just, I mean, I've loaded a full, full bison on that thing, like over 200 pounds of meat. And uh, it's got a battery on it and you just, it's got a little throttle and you can just put it's up. It's like a, a, a one wheeled Segway. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty sweet with handlebars on the back. I mean, it's, it's cool. That's cool. So that thing's saved my back a lot. <laughs> that thing's awesome. What about the, uh, yeah, that, that was a great, great answer, by the way. That's very interesting. I could uh, Once in a lifetime. Yeah, the, the lifetime thing. How about that? So once in a lifetime, it is in the state of Utah. It's once in a lifetime. Uh, so meaning if you draw the tag, you will never draw it again, regardless if you harvest or not. Now, there are other places that you can draw multiple times than that or ranches where you can go and hunt bison. You know, you, you pay for a tag and you can go hunt them, so interesting so there's a lot of pressure on that's a lot of pressure on you to be like yo this is my once in a lifetime if i don't get this then i'm never going to get it and you're like yeah Yeah. and i I try to set realistic expectations in the front you know that they have to understand that there's only about 400 bison um on the mountain total and they inhabit 300,000 acres and so the population density is real slim um so I try and set those expectations that, you know, the chances of seeing one are pretty slim and the chances of getting in on one are even slimmer and then the chance of killing one is even harder than that. Uh, the cow hunts, they have an average success of 40 to 50% success rate, harvest rate. So half the people usually go home without killing one. Uh, the bull hunts a higher rate. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a cow only than a, a hunter's choice. So they can choose either sex on those tags, but those ones do have a higher success rate. Wow. Um, yeah, that, that, that would just be, I don't know for, for, uh, I think for the average Joe, probably like myself, it'd be really cool just to like, just go and and watch the process of something like that. I mean, that's just an experience that I think many, most people don't get to experience things like that. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty wild. (laughs) It is. It's funny because I was in a restaurant the other day and they had a, a taxidermied elk on the wall which is abnormal out here in North Carolina in South Carolina because you don't you don't get elk very much and and I heard the guy in the next table over and and he was sitting with I think another couple and him and his wife were sitting with another couple and he was like man that's a huge deer uh, I don't know you gotta kill that thing with like a bazooka or something and I'm like that is a, that's not a deer that's an elk and I was like that's and you do have to and, but like with elk, I mean, I feel like the yield, the the meat yield is so much compared yeah. to. But I would have thought the bison would have been like unbelievable yeah. amounts of meat. I mean, you're just packing it out on like sleds and all kind of stuff. But <laughs> that's very surprising that it's only that much. But yeah, I uh, my wife and I watched this. Um, we watched this show. Um, I was on Netflix or something like that, and it was about these people that lived up in this mountain in like uh, Kentucky or or Tennessee or something like that, and it. Um, showed that these they were kind of like homesteader type people and they went out for a hunt and they killed a huge elk and i was like elk in tennessee i was like that i was like that's not right i was like there's no i was like that, that that's not possible and then i actually did some research and i found it like in like the 60s or something like that they did a huge transplant of like 
thousands of elk into uh, like the the Appalachian Mountains and in, in, in on the eastern side of the the country, but most of them didn't survive. They didn't really breed out, and they they hmm. so maybe there's a couple yeah. left. But I, I, heard uh, a, I heard a story once of a, of a girl like it was like a uh, she was a young girl like uh, probably less than fifteen, and I, I want to say she was like ten or eleven, and she was on a hunt with her dad, and she was going like a whitetail hunt. And she ended up shooting an elk. And she's like, I didn't know this was an elk. The only It looked like a deer, and the only thing out here is whitetail. So she just killed it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's a lot more meat than you probably bargained for. So Now, I, you might, I'm, I'm kind of an idiot, so this might not be true. But I, I had heard that Rocky Mountain elk were plains animals to begin with. Um, the, the antler size, I mean, just imagine that. It, I don't think evolutionarily that makes sense that those would grow to such that size in the trees, in highly dense woods, you know? So yeah, it would make sense that they would be out in the plains. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I know that this, um, so this is kind of a business that, that you run obviously on the side and I kind of want to get into, you know, kind of your, your entrepreneurial spirit, uh, to a certain extent. I know that you, you do this, um, also, you uh, you have a, a, a career that you work on as well. Um, I know that you've you've started a couple other businesses. You um, breed dogs, and you um, do have have a hydro seeding business. Uh, share with us a little bit about kind of these other businesses that you you have, and then I have a couple questions about kind of that entrepreneurial mindset. Okay, so uh, to start out, we we I guess our first entrepreneurial idea was in our first home that we did now we had the opportunity to build with it's called like a mutual housing program it's meant for lower income families to afford their first home and we built in the south end of utah county and we built at a time when building costs happened to be relatively low and we had a bunch of sweat equity in the home by the time we moved in i think we had about thirty thousand in equity by just from the sweat equity of helping build it and then by the time we left, we had been in the home for about two and a half years. I mean, uh, that's when housing was kicking up really quickly. And we made a lot of money on that house. And that allowed us to get out of, completely out of debt. We haven't been in debt since. Um, so that was a huge, that was probably the biggest uh, thing that, that's helped us out. Um, during that same time is when I started uh, Bull Mountain Outfitters. And so that as supplemental income has helped us again, stay out of debt and just kind of wait and afford things as we, as we make money. Is that when you moved into uh, the country after you sold that yeah. house in Utah County? Yeah. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to move down to here to South central Utah. Um, I, I started my degree in healthcare administration and I worked up in Utah County at a dental clinic doing HR management and uh, IT support. I actually got that job just because I spoke Spanish. So <laughs> I, it I does pay off. About dental. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I knew nothing about Spanish or about dental or uh, anything in that field, but I got the job because I spoke Spanish and then uh, really owe a lot of my success in the healthcare field to that fact that I speak Spanish. Um, and then I got offered the job down here. I actually did some trainings and, and things like that for the, the clinic that's down here in Bicknell. And then a few months later, I was offered a job uh, to come and work here. So that's when we sold the house. Uh, moved down here and I started Bull Mountain Outfitters and had that supplemental income. And then uh, I actually did all the sweat equity on this house as well. 
So it took us about nine and a half, 10 months to finish, but I mean, gosh, we have tons of equity in this house now. So I think 110,000 in equity by the time we moved in. That's awesome. Being able to so, kind of like contribute to the building of something as well that you're going to live yeah. in. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, so then the hydro seat business started because we'd been in the house uh, six months or so. And I contacted a guy that did our hydro seat in Utah County. That was a neighbor of mine. And I said, I've, I've re- researched around here and there's nobody that does hydro seat down here where I'm at in this. Can you explain so, what hydro seat is? So hydro seat is a, a slurry or like a matrix that you like a, a bonded fiber matrix or a paper matrix slurry mix that you put uh, grass seed in and, and uh, fertilizer in, and then you spray that on bare dirt and that, uh, that fiber and that mesh just, it holds moisture in really well and allows it just keeps the seed at the perfect depth for, for grass to grow. So people use it mostly for turf grass, but you can grow, you can put any type of seed in there. Um, so anyways, I wanted some grass. I wanted some lawn and, and hydro seed is a quarter of the price of sod. So that's the main mm-hmm. reason why I wanted it. And it looked really good. So the guy said, you know, that's too far for me. You know, you're three hours South of us. And I, I was comfortable enough. I mean, he's a neighbor. So I said, well, would you mind teaching me how to do it? And he's like, yeah, of course. And this guy's done it for 25 or 30 years or something like that. So he's been around a long time. So I went under his tutelage, if you will, and started out and just kind of got a feeler around the area. And, and people were, yeah, come, let's try it out here. Let's try it out there. And then, so the first year I did it, I ended up doing, I think, 26 different lawns. And then just this last year, so I've been doing it two years. This last year I did, I think it's 57. Wow. Um, but these I did, are, these are I country lawns jobs. too, right? Yeah. These aren't like little postage yeah. stamp houses. Yeah. These are country <laughs> lawns. Yeah. I mean, I've done everything in between. I've done little teeny 500 square foot and I've done all the way up to 65,000 square feet. So about wow. an acre and a half, you know. Um, and now I'm starting to do jobs for construction companies. Like I just did a job uh, doing uh soil erosion control. So hydro seed on a, a bank, uh, a dam that they did for a reservoir. So it's, it's crazy. It just keeps expanding. Um, do, do you have guys that work for you or, or are you doing this mostly yourself or? No, just all myself. I mean, we're, we're small enough and the demand is like just right for the area that we're in. Um, that I think if I wanted to expand to outer cities and stuff like that, I, I could pick up another person, but I, the, bad part about me is I have a lot of, I have a trouble letting go of that control. Like I, I know exactly the quality control that I put in this. And if I hire somebody else, I don't know what quality I'm going to get. Um, and that's hard for me to let go of right now. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. So that's a spring busy. job. And then you got a summer yeah. and then you got a winter job, uh, doing the yeah. hunting and then the rest of the time you fit in your other job. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I work full time at the clinic. Uh, doing marketing, advertising, IT support, a bunch of other different things. Um, I have a boss that's amazing, the CEO. He's a big time hunter too. So he's, he's pretty forgiving when I need time off to go hunt or to guide or, and then hydro seed, it's actually, it's pretty easy. Uh, as far as like, if I want to do a lawn after work, I can just go spray a lawn after work. It's, it's pretty quick. Um, and then we also have the hunting dogs So we, we actually bought our first hunting dog. She's a field bred golden retriever. Uh, when we lived in Elkridge, when we lived in Utah County, um, we wanted a family dog, but we wanted something that could kind of earn or keep. So I wanted something that could retrieve ducks and retrieve pheasants and chuckers and, and go 
hunt antlers with me, you know, pick up antlers and help me and stuff. So that's why I picked that breed. And then uh, we decided that we were going to pursue it. So we uh, pursue breeding uh, in those competitive lines. Um, so picking out uh, reputable studs that have also been uh, hunt tested um, that have like elbows and hips certified, eye certified, you know, things like that, breeding really quality dogs back into the breed. So uh, we have that too, kind of supplements income. Do you have horses? You mentioned that you have used horses in the past. Do you have horses? Like, uh, I don't know how big property no. you have. No, my dad has horses. My father-in-law has horses and that's, that's enough horses for me. <laughs> I don't have to feed them. So yeah. Geez. That's a, that's a big responsibility to have horses. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like, you know, just, just talking with you, um, kind of about the, the different things that you've in, you've been in, I kind of see a trend, right? You, you find something that you, uh, you know, with the, with a Buffalo, for example, you went on some Buffalo hunts and then you said, you know, I kind of like this. And then you got to a point where you, you associated with people that did that. And then you kind of built yourself up to be, you know, like you said, the, the trying to be the best in one area at a specific thing. And then, you know, same thing with the, with the hydro seating and you, you ha- you saw a need for yourself and then you found somebody who did it. And then you went after that and then you, 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 you kind of learned that specific craft and then developed that into, um, you know, something that that's potentially, you know, profitable and, and, and a side business as well. So, um, I, I just think that's really cool. And I think for, for listeners out there to be able to say, um, you know, you can, you can find things out there. I think it just takes that entrepreneurial spirit to say, Hey, this is a problem that, that I had, or this is a, uh, you know, a uh, you know, something that, that I had that needed to be solved or this is something that I liked. Now, how can I potentially market this? You know, how can I turn it around and, and, and create a business? And, and I just, I just love that aspect of, um, you know, the, the country that we live in to be able just to say, Hey, I like that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn as much as I can about it. And then I'm going to try to become an expert and, and move forward. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I've had the opportunity to, to guide I mean, usually the people that pay for guides are pretty wealthy people. Um, and I've had that really awesome opportunity to kind of pick their brains as to how they became successful and how they had the nerve to come up with different ideas and pursue different things. And a lot of times, almost a consistent across the board is that every one of those people, whether it's in um, light engineering or whether it's in the oil field, gas field, mechanical engineering, or in um, inventing stuff like I took a guy that he's a really well-known guy because he's invented a lot of stuff in the uh, archery industry but a consistent across the board is they didn't necessarily invent something new they just took already existing ideas and just perfected it or they just did it really really well and it's surprising how people are willing to pay more for something that's done right Uh, and that's kind of what I've tried to adapt is you know with my hydro seat I go way out of my way I travel uh, three hours to get the materials that I need when there's plenty other seed companies closer by I go three hours away because I get quality stuff um, with guiding bison hunts I want to do something that's very specific with the dogs I make sure that they're all tested and they have their certifications all that stuff too um, doing something but doing it really to the maximum that you can doing it really well but yeah I mean the wheels are always turning I mean right now I've got ideas to do vacation rentals and and long-term rentals. I actually just listened to your guys' podcast that you did a week or so ago. And that had, that was really cool stuff too. Yeah. Um, 
the arbitrage thing. That yeah, was, that was, like, that was yeah, for sure. Actually, she was so great to have. That was an excellent idea. I had never heard of that before. But I mean, like camp trailer rentals, um, renting out our basement or something like that on Airbnb. I mean, there's the possibilities are endless. You really can do so much. Yeah. So, uh, kind of on another note, I know you said that you had, um, so the, the, you had a guy on the hunt that was 83 years old. Is that the oldest guy that you've had? 86. 86. Um, yeah. what's, what's the youngest person you've ever had? Is there an age limit to putting in for a tag? 30, let's see, 39, 38. I think okay. was the youngest. You gotta have some money though, yeah, unless yeah. it's like somebody with a, a rich guy and he wants to take his son and he's already yeah. he's already bagged his bison. I thought I, it was. I helped my buddy. He was he's just a year older than me. I helped him last year, so he would have been thirty. Uh, but I was just a friend helping out mm-hmm. a friend, you know. What's the difference between a bison and a buffalo? Bison is the proper name. Oh, okay. Uh, the Latin name is bison. Bison. I guess it was such mm-hmm. a good name. I had to use it twice. <laughs> I don't know. But that's the that's the proper name in in America. There's wood bison and there's plain bison. Uh, bison bison is the plains bison. Um, that's what's on the Henrys. Mm-hmm. But buffalo usually refers uh, to refers to plain Cape buffalo, buffalo yeah. water buffalo, like African or Australian buffalo or South mm-hmm. uh, American buffalo. So that's that's the difference. But a lot of people just call it the American buffalo. Or now the American buffalo. I remember when I was in like middle school, I did a project about endangered species, and the American buffalo was what I did. Mm-hmm. I assume that they're no longer endangered species since they're being hunted. No. <laughs> Is that correct? No, that's correct. There was, uh, I might get some of these numbers wrong, but they believe there was something around 43 million of them that used to roam across the plains. And then in the late or early 1800s, they got down to just a handful, a couple hundred that kind of stayed right there in Yellowstone. Um, Yellowstone is one of the genetically pure herds, but they're not disease-free. They have brucellosis in that herd. But the Henry's herd was uh, transplanted from the Yellowstone herd back in 1941. There's 15 of them taken from their three bulls, and then the rest were cows, and they dropped those off near the Henry's out in the desert, and then they just kind of moved up onto the mountain. They've called it home ever since then. Uh, The Henry's herd did have brucellosis, but they inoculated them back in 62, and they've been disease-free ever since. Uh, Actually, every hunter that goes out there, they get a vial, uh, blood vials, so when you harvest the animal, you you send in two blood vials, and then they uh, they test every animal that's to make harvested. sure you can eat the meat. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> you can't eat it, right? <laughs> I think you can eat it. You just got to cook it. Just oh. cook, make sure it's, it hits 165 degrees, then you're good. Do you ever get any of the meat? Yeah. Uh-huh. They give you some of it. People are like, I can't fly yeah. back with you know 300 pounds of meat. You take some, you know, and you're like, right. I already have six freezers. <laughs> Yeah, so the furthest person away that's come and hunted was from Iowa, and they actually drove. And then I got a guy from Texas, and he drove. Um, a guy from Oregon, he drove. A guy from Colorado. So all of them have driven. So then we'll usually just throw it in coolers, and they take it back home with them. Um, but, yeah, there's – I mean, we, we do our best to whittle everything off, uh, you know, roast off the neck, um, rib meat, stuff like that, tenderloins, um, shank meat, all that stuff. Uh, so there's usually not much left to pick through, but you know, there's some left over. Lungs, heart, liver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All yeah, the guts that we stuff. talked about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Exactly. Well, this has been awesome, man. And, uh, you know, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but uh, we could talk forever because you got so many interesting <laughs> things to talk about. And it's been so great hearing from you. But uh, one of the things kind of at the end of our episode here that we always like to talk about is we want to hear the personal creed of the people that we interview. So a creed is a set of beliefs or aims that guide your life. Uh, so wanted to s- see if you could share with us a piece of your own personal creed. Absolutely. So I guess I kind of have two parts to it. Um, I heard this saying uh, quite a while ago. It's from a guy named Robert Heinlein, H-E-I-N-L-E-I-N. He says, a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. So I've... Uh, That's I awesome. Like, I've never heard that before. Uh, my poor wife has to deal with all my crazy ideas and I, I think she's all right with it. It usually ends up working out, but I, I do. I get lots of ideas and think, gosh, this ought to work and this ought to... And I'm not... I think what... Uh, I think what trips a lot of people up is they just get scared thinking like, I don't know how to do that. Well, you know, education doesn't cost anything. Um, if you want a degree that costs something, but education is free. You can go on YouTube and learn anything you want. Um, so I, I love that. And then my other part to it is that I try not to ever be comfortable. If I'm comfortable where I'm at, then I, then I feel like I've plateaued and I, and I don't think that I'll ever reach that. And I think if I tell myself that and I always have that mindset, then, then I'll always be reaching for something better, knowing that I, that I did my best, but you know, I could have done a little bit better, maybe go back, rewrite it, revise it and try again. Um, so with, you know, different projects that I do or different ideas I have or my income or some, anything like that, I, I just think, how could I have done that a little bit better? And then I can, you know, keep climbing on up. That's great. Um, I, I love that kind of that twofold, right? It's education is, uh, is free. I mean, there's so many resources out there to go do it. And, you know, if you don't know how to change a diaper, we'll figure it out. Or if you don't know how to program a computer, figure it out, you know, and, and, and I'm sure there are people out there that are willing to, to share that information as well. And to, to help, help you learn, um, is is one thing that I've noticed in, in my life. You know, most people are willing to share their knowledge. Um, and, and willing to, to, to help out. So. Yeah, I think that's really one of the purposes of the podcast is, of this podcast is to really expose ourselves and then our audience to lots of different things so that they be, can become you know, interested or find their interests or they can learn lots of different things. Like we had a buddy of mine on just the other day, uh, Matt talked about cryptocurrencies and, and that hobby. And he, you know, he's, he's someone that also uh, has very, a lot of different hobbies. So I am also that way. And that I have lots of different types of hobbies. And so uh, that's goes right along with, with our creed as the podcast to just explore lots of different things. And, and it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I heard the, the saying from our uh, ethanized mission president, President Bruce, I heard it from him first. He said, it's not about what you know, but who you know. And, you know, Ethan said it just barely, but it's amazing how many people are willing to share how they became successful, even if you're wanting to like compete in that same field. I'm sure you'll come across a few sour people, but the majority, you know, if you like that, that lady you had on the other day, you asked her, how do I get into 
uh, real estate in Charlotte and yeah, everything, you know, she's, she's willing to share it all, how she became successful and how to do it and what to avoid. And because I think, again, the majority of people are good people. And I think the majority of people want to see you succeed, even if they don't know you. So yeah, just don't be afraid to ask people. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I love it. Uh, Jane, where, where can people find you on uh, social medias? Yeah. So I have a Facebook and Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Henry MTN bison hunts, Henry mountain bison hunts. Awesome. Um, f- for those uh, listening out there as well, you can, um, find us at on Instagram at a.brothers.creed for the podcast. Um, and also we're going to be posting, uh, some, some pictures from some of the, from some of the hunts, uh, and working with Jaden, uh, on Instagram to kind of, um, you know, make sure that, that you guys can, can see some of these cool things that we've been talking about as well. Um, also you can watch this on YouTube. Um, you got some, some bison heads behind you there in the, yeah. on the wall. So if you yeah. want to, you want to check that out too, um, go, go ahead and, and follow us on our, on our, uh, YouTube channel also on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you again so much. Really appreciate your, your time today. And, uh, for all the listeners, let's build our creed together. All right, let's do it. <laughs>